Hello, and welcome to the Terralex Insights Podcast, where our goal is to present multicultural perspectives by leading professionals. These perspectives on contemporary issues help lawyers and business people work better together. I'm your host, Terry Pepper Gavlik, Terralex's Chief Executive Officer. And today, I'm really happy to be speaking with Mark Medich, who is a principal at Law Vision Group, where he leads the financial performance and data science practice. And I would say, that I've had the pleasure of working with Mark over a few decades as a colleague and as a client. But even so, I think I just mispronounced your last name, didn't I? (laughs) Well, I don't know that there is any correct pronunciation. We we don't quite get along in our uh, family reunion. So as long as- Same as my family. (laughs) (laughs) You're in good shape. (laughs) I've always said it that way. And I I was recently at a conference where you spoke and I think you pronounced it differently. And I'm like, hmm. But anyway, I can tell you, though, uh, tell our audience, actually, that you're absolutely brilliant at providing and applying data solutions to some of the most pressing challenges facing law firm leaders. I've certainly been a beneficiary of that. So welcome to the podcast, Mark. Well, thanks, Terry. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, a lot of fun uh, to talk about uh, uh, just the industry generally and, and data more specifically. And what's going to be fascinating for our listeners is that this could become a very dry subject, So, but it's not. It's really, really interesting, and it's very um, practical. So everybody stay tuned to hear some really interesting examples. But before we do that, just so everybody knows a little bit more about you, would you share a little bit about your background and your, and your practice focus, who you work with, and in particular, um, how you came into this role that you're currently in? Because I know you've had some interesting past roles as well. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll be brief. Uh... I've been in the industry. Sometimes it feels, uh, Terry, like uh, like we're getting old. Maybe we, maybe because it is. It I is am getting game. old, and you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, right now, uh, I've been a principal at Law Vision for I guess uh, three uh, plus years. Uh, my practice focuses on uh, law firm performance. So our clients are are, are largely law firms, um, and in particular, I focus on profitability, pricing, um, and then the underbelly of that is the use of data. To drive those ideas, although because I, I work with data a lot, then the, those uh, principles can have application in other areas, like uh, helping uh, CMOs, uh, you know, look at their client portfolios and a series of other other applications. So I, while I focus on pricing and profitability and law firm performance broadly, uh, there are other applications. Um, before that. Um, I was the leader of of the Peer Monitor program. I, I created the Peer Monitor Index and uh, really tried to champion, uh, again, the use of data. Uh, one of the great challenges we had at Peer Monitor uh, was, was that people were not tapping into the data that was available to them. And so we had to really uh, take extra steps to do things like create special reporting, the Peer Monitor Index Report. So in other words, the Peer Monitor Index Report wasn't just uh, uh, you know, an intellectual curiosity. We really wanted to give the market uh, a vehicle or a tool that they could use so that they get a quick synopsis of what was going on in the market. Before then, uh, I was actually a practitioner um, uh, in the industry. I was an associate at Morgan Lewis uh, and uh, and also an in-house counsel uh, briefly at, at Procter and Gamble. Um, and I'm not uh, sure I knew that part. Yeah, no, that was my brief my brief history. But I, I it's really kind of a fun blend because I do try to bring multiple perspectives on the problem, both as a practitioner, both as a, a you know, someone who cares about the business issues, and then having some half, half, half ability in the area of, of technology savvy a little bit. How, how about that? Yeah, well, and I'm sure that most of our um, North American listeners know what we mean by peer monitor, but here's my unscientific description, having been a client for those that may be less familiar with the product. 
basically a firm um, goes into a peer group of at least five other firms. Your data is pulled right from your accounting and time and billing systems. It's anonymous and it's all mushed together with your peer group, but you can then look at your firm's statistics as a benchmark against the whole peer group. So everything from what compensation to revenue, to profitability, to lots of other factors, tons of other factors, how much rent you you pay your overhead expenses, things like that. There's yeah. my unscientific mush together. <laughs> no, I think that's a good description. I'll take it and run with it. How's that? Yeah, I always found Peer Monitor to be a really handy tool. And it was probably my first experience with really starting to use data to look at across many offices that my firm had and different factors there. So um, let's let's dig into that a little bit. How are maybe some um, positive or helpful ways that law firms are successfully applying data solutions? What are the challenges that they're trying to face and how are they using data to solve some of those? Yeah. Well, the way I always try to get into this discussion of, of you know, what should we be doing with data? Uh, because sometimes, and, I, and I'm, uh, I'm just as guilty as any, everyone else in, in kind of going down this road, but if you think about um, what's going on in today's marketplace, there's a lot of news about uh, topics that seem very, very advanced, like, hey, machine learning, robots, uh, um, you know, uh, self-driving cars, et, et cetera. And, and that technology seems to be getting increasingly better every day. But the way I try to get people to think about data is how can you solve problems better? Uh, and, and whether that means uh, being more accurate in your decision-making, being alerted at the right time, uh, that something has arrived. So I'll, I'll just use a couple of examples like, hey, how can we price better? Or how can we better understand what our clients' needs are in a more systematic fashion? Or how can we tell if a matter's budget is likely to overrun and, and when we should intervene with a finite set of resources? So with, when you really think about, to me, what the great uses of data are, at least insofar as how law firms might at least first think about it, is how can we do things better? What are our strategies and how do we think about using data to leverage a finite set of resources to make better decisions in a way that goes forward? That's a pretty generic way to describe it, but I really do invite people to think about it that way because that will then orient one towards a problem-solving mindset rather than, oh my goodness, I have to go take uh, uh, you know 12 classes in data science and try to be a statistician and understand machine learning, which for the most part, you really don't. Yeah. Uh, you, you can, if you want, uh, and there could be applications there, uh, but that's not really, to me, the essence of it. So what are some of the most pressing challenges that you're seeing law firms have an appetite for applying a more disciplined approach to Yeah, it, well, in the, in the markets that, I, that I'm operating in, um, again, you start with the problems and the problems are the opportunities. And, 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 and so if you look at it, so the peer monitor experience, for example, in the last 15 years of my career, you might say, uh, you know, I sometimes, if I, I become a little bit more complimentary to what I've been doing, I'll call myself an economist for, for the industry. In other words, I take more pride in my understanding of economic performance than perhaps I do the, the data side of the equation. So if you translate that into what are the opportunities of the marketplace today? Well, if you think about it, law firms have largely been um, you know, beholden to the billable hour for, for many, many, many years. And their clients have, have been there as well. And there's lots of really good discussion about uh, how do we move away from the billable hour? I often like to, to describe the idea that 
that everybody can at least agree, unless you're a time traveler, you can agree on what an hour is at 60 minutes, right? So you, you, even if it's not the best meter of value, uh, you, you can understand what it is. As soon as you try to move away from a billable hour to some other type of productized unit, whether it's a, a matter, whether it's some form of phase or task or some other kind of deliverable, then it invites challenges. So data plays a significant role in trying to understand and analyze, well, how long does a matter take? And, and by the way, what matter? Uh, how do we actually go about classifying matters? How do we go about segmenting matters that are more similar than others, um, uh, 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 you know, in, in groups that would allow us to have a more common set of units. But then it gets even richer than that. If you look at the economics of law firms today, obviously uh, the transactional practices are, are going gangbusters, right? So you've got M&A, you've got private equity. Those practices have a significantly different set of needs and issues than perhaps a, a practice like, I'll just make one up, uh, labor and employment, where perhaps there's much greater price sensitivity and a different type of dynamics associated with those practices. So do you take whatever context that you're dealing with, whether it's, hey, I want my M&A practice, not to say that there isn't price sensitivity to that, I don't wanna speak with too broad a brush, but maybe the focus there is on growth and acceleration and how do we capture better talent and how do we know whether the talent that we're looking to acquire is more likely to be successful for us and help us develop that practice? Maybe on the other side of the spectrum, it's about how do we become more efficient? How automated can we become? And, and so the data need or the business need, if you will, uh, can be different in that regard. So it can be pricing, it can be client development, uh, it can be managing your matters more effectively um, and, and so on uh, from, from there. I think back to my early days in law firms, which are quite, quite a long time ago. I'm not sure you were born yet. And <laughs> how for up until really recently, decisions were always made more on past history, but not using a sophisticated method to look at that. It was more past intuition. Like yeah. what should we be doing? And, and rates were, you know, raised just because the calendar page turned over. So it's nice to know that at least there's some more discipline coming. I remember a few years ago, you were working on a project where you were looking at the lifetime value of a client because not all clients are created equally. I don't know, are firms doing that? Has that gotten any traction in the market? It's still early, but there there is very strong interest in it. It's, it's unusual that you encounter, um, and it doesn't have to be a leader of the business development function, but it, it's more often than not, it, it, it is, is led there. I don't think they're the only folks who care is the point. Um, I don't think there's a lot of systematic uh, progress in that area, although there's a lot of really good pioneering research there. But you really raise an interesting, interesting question to me, which is you might want to calculate the lifetime value of a client. And that may be a very important aspirational goal. But if you break that apart into its component parts, pretty soon you could actually make some pretty good strides on the journey to the lifetime value of a client. And to me, this is where I think law firms have made really good strides. Meaning, do you understand what the cost of bringing on a new client is? Uh, do you understand where your clients uh, are coming from in terms of various practices. It, do you understand or have a sense for what the, what the, 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 the what do you call it, the, uh, the life cycle? We're talking about lifetime value, 
but there's also this idea of a life cycle. So what do we expect from a new client that comes in doing, let's say, real estate work? Are they likely to move into other kinds of services that the, the cross selling uh, potential, basically? Yeah, the, what's the cross selling potential? And is there a temporal element to that? Meaning, hey, if you bring somebody on, uh, is there a call it a three year horizon? by which you, you might have your best opportunity to take advantage of that fresh relationship. Let's take the other side of the equation. What about a client that's been with you for, for I'll just make up a longer time period, 10 years or 15 years. How does that context and what your knowledge of that client speak to how you can work together uh, to, to answer those things? So, so the short answer is that lifetime value is a very rich, rich idea, but many of the component parts are actually being uh, being studied. And, and, and again, a lot of my research in that realm uh, uh, often kind of tried to connect to things like, could we, for every one of our clients, develop some form of a risk score or an opportunity score? And if you think about it, I'd be curious, Terry, because I know you've got some expertise in this area as well. When we did this research, uh, very more often than not, people wanted to sort of have a cross-selling sort of guidance system. Hey, th these factors are at play. Like we've got these practices, we've got these depths of relationships. Maybe there's an opportunity for us to serve the client in, in another, another practice. And I think those rules are, are pretty well known anecdotally. I think the rules have not been deployed as much systematically. And I think that's where the opportunity could lie. But the other part of the discussion is, can you get there inversely by looking at uh, elements or factors that could suggest risk to that client relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's, I'm not sure that they're always complementary. That's probably an oversimplification, but, but in terms of the cultural acceptance of data, sometimes for lawyers, it's a lot easier to suggest to them when there's something at risk rather than, than trying to press them to do cross-selling, that kind of thing. And so in other words, the risk or the, it's sort of like the carrot and stick idea. Yeah. Get somebody's attention more along the lines of, of, uh, of fear uh, versus, uh, versus opportunity. And, and again, that's a really interesting, uh, interesting area where I think many firms have done some, done some really interesting work on. Which is great. And it, to me, it's fascinating to be able to start putting some data discipline to that area because what we've always said and always seen when you do sort of the more um, kind of client listening, client feedback is law firms don't know where they're at risk with a client. They don't even realize that not every matter that could be assigned to them is, or that work that they could be getting is going to another firm, or even when they're about to not get any more work, it just kind of drifts away. It doesn't go away. So if you can put some, look at trends and, you know, put some data to that, you might, management of law firms might have a better tool to change behaviors within the firms, um, within the, the people that manage those relationships. So that's pretty fascinating to me. Yeah. And just think of one last point on that. Uh, because that sounds really hard, right? Um, and I and and I and I've got materials if anybody's ever interested where we've studied what creates a risky client. And you look at things like uh, you know the so-called rule of three. If you have major practices operating, what's your nature of competition, depth of relationship, uh, you know velocity to new work. But I like to say, why don't you just look? You, you could almost create an early warning risk system for your clients if all you did was systematically track post-bill discounts or post-bill mm -hmm. delays, right? That, that would be a very simple thing to do. You could, you could track it in a spreadsheet or if you wanted to visualize it in a fancy chart, put it in Tableau or an Excel chart. And there you go. You probably could put that together in a month or less, right? Um, the question, if you think about it, that's a good application of data. But so the question is, is why don't firms do that? 
right? And, and so to me, that's the gap is that, do you have a passion to solve that problem? Because the tools, the data, and the ability to tell colorful stories is available to you. And, and to me, I think that is the great opportunity uh, for many folks. In my well, I think a little of it, and I apologize for anyone I might uh, insult with this, but I'm not meaning to, it's just I've been around in law firms for so long, is a reluctance to look at the data and, and attribute that that's the reason. It, you know, it, a discount might get blamed on, uh, the pandemic, um, you know, another person messed up a, a letter. They don't, you, looking at the trend of it, you'd see that more broadly, but people don't really want to do that typically in my experience. Well, it's always an my, external factor they're going to blame it on. Well, one of the, and this is really fascinating and, and probably this may be one of the biggest points that I'd like to offer for the, uh, for the podcast today, which is one of the biggest challenges of deploying data to improve the way the firm operates isn't things that people sometimes think about, like, oh, I don't have a data team, or I, I don't know how to use that type of technology. The biggest problem that people face is once they have data insights about an opportunity or a problem, then they feel a sense of responsibility to take action. That can place them in a precarious political position. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's a really fascinating cultural facet to any one of these systems. So. What it does is it also invites uh, at least some consideration to what is the culture of my firm? Who are the stakeholders? Come on, we're going to have to have some political strategy here, right? Uh, because it's not just about knowledge. Because if we go back to the peer monitor examples, I was very naive when we first launched the program to think that all we got to do is show firms where their opportunities are, their gaps, where the rates are lower or higher or whatever, their expenses were higher or lower, and they'll just change, right? Well, the reality is they won't just change. You actually have to have strategies around that, and I'm certain that uh, I, I, that's not news to anybody on the call or, or the podcast, but I would tell you that it, it is certainly an important thing to think about as part of these projects. Yeah, I mean, because once you see the data or the trends, you can't unring that bell. So what do you do first? Do you work on the getting everyone to agree that no matter what the results are, you're going to work with those, or do you get the results and give a wake-up call? I mean, it's interesting. What do you see firms doing in that regard? Uh, well, I think it's a bit over the map. I mean, sometimes, it, and I think it depends on who who is sponsoring the project. And, and it is a fantastic question because many of my projects have been sponsored by some of the most unusual individuals that I would not have anticipated. So for example, I've got a financial risk uh, system that I deployed um, with, a, with a firm in the East Coast and the sponsor is the general counsel. And the reason why this, the general counsel is involved is they came from an insurance background and they look at everything through a risk management lens. And so they saw this idea of being able to put risk attributes on matters for purposes of, in this case, it's financial risk management. They wanna, they wanna reduce write-downs and write-offs and, and be more effective in matter management. Um, but, but that individual really championed that. So, so I think you have to look at uh, uh, who, who is involved, who has energy to try to solve these problems. I generally recommend, and I think this is kind of the way these projects are, are operating, you take almost like a Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm model, which is you find your seams. So you don't try to solve all the world's problems and, and make it so comprehensive. But if you find your seams where you can actually uh, demonstrate success, then usually what happens is, is, is others sort of grow a contagion uh, for this and they get excited and you can sort of expand in other areas. And I found that to be a very effective approach to work with the willing. Yeah. It's always it's, in law firms in particular, I think it's always a 
uh, effective. I'm just curious, something you said made me think about this. Do you see firms that are going into projects where they're starting to use data solutions because their clients are demanding it of them? Oh, that's a really great question. Uh, and and so I guess somewhat, I, I think the, the way I would connect that idea uh, to be receptive to the, the question is that I think clients are, are asking law firms to be more creative and to be more open-minded, but I don't think they're necessarily saying use data, or, or, you know, with some exceptions, if, if you look at things like hard budgeting and e-billing, without question, that's a very data-driven, how do we get more effective uh, services for the same or lower price? That, that of course, is, is very data-intense, but but in terms of things like, can you anticipate my need? Can you develop stronger relationships? Can we have a much stronger business partnership? I think, I think the, the spirit of that is, is much more, can you be creative? Can you be open-minded? And I think, I think for firms, um, certainly there's a data quality to it, but there's also an automation quality to it. There's a quality that says, hey, do we have to, or, or should we be staffing our matters in the same way, or should we be looking for more creative ways to just do business? And I think, I think to me, that's where it's really quite a bit of fun. And I, I don't mean this in any, any you know, negative way, but I always hate conversations that are bounded by clients saying, hey, can you just deliver for me the same services at a lower price? Yeah, I, I get why they say that and I empathize with that desire, but I think the opportunity to, for folks to be just much more creative and, and innovative with services is where the real longer road runs. And I, and I think that's quite a bit of fun that will lead to lower cost services in a more efficient way, right? I, I think, so we're, we're all trying to get to the same place, but I think I think just looking at business models, if you look at how other businesses operate, um, yeah, there's this desire for, for lower cost, you know, for the same kind of technology, but, but it, it, I think the more interesting game is, is how people can uh, open up green fields and do things in a different and, and, and interesting way. Well, and certainly we see firms all over the world. And we just, um, Susan Lambert, one of your colleagues, just did a session for our leadership training program on legal project management. But so much of what you're saying is the data that you would need if you're really going to do an effective job at legal project management. And um, so I know there seems to be a real good tie-in to that as well. And that to me is, even if the client isn't specifically saying it, that's very client-driven as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and what I've always told people, whether I'm talking with, CMOs or CFOs or managing partners, let your problem domain be your guide. Mm -hmm. And then ask yourself, just in the same way you brought up legal project management as an example, if you just sort of look at your so-called maturity curve for where you want to progress with regard to legal project management or pricing or, or client development, think about those principles. Think about your roadmap. Think about the kinds of work streams and processes that you're going to need to put in place. And then ask yourself the question, how might those processes be automated? What kind of data uh, is either available or can be more systematically deployed? And I'll give you an example, just by way of, of examples of data. One of the best examples is outside of, of legal in the sports realm. You know, data intensity has really evolved over the past 20 years, uh, made famous by baseball and the Oakland Athletics and the Moneyball story, which everybody sort of knows. But do you, do you remember, Harry? what the great learning from the, the, the model that the, the Oakland A's put together. Everybody still remembers the general story, which is you know, obviously a great story, but there were two basic ideas that, that changed their assumptions of their strategy. Do you remember what those were? The risk of failing, I'm gonna ask you to tell us. <laughs> yeah, 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 don't worry. I don't wanna fail the test in public. Yeah, and I'll go quick because I don't wanna go too far of a tangent. 
But what the great learning was that nobody else was paying attention to was, could you get on base and could you advance when you're on base? It was those two principles, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and then, if then essentially it was their willingness to deploy against that strategy. Uh, think about that and how you could do that in other, other rounds. People are sometimes not as willing to, to embrace that. So, so if you think about Moneyball, perhaps one could argue is less about a data strategy and much more about the courage to do things different when there was so much resistance from the, uh, the coaches, from the uh, scouts and, and others in the realm. It's a very fascinating thing. And now that's being applied to hockey, that's being applied to football. Uh, take a look at the Cleveland Browns for all you Brownies out there. Uh, they're very intense in terms of things like deciding whether to go for two point conversions and so forth. But I apologize to go on a sports team. No, no, I, well, at least here in North America, it's going to resonate. And if you have a soccer story or a Ted yeah. Lasso story, it'll <laughs> resonate elsewhere. So, I, so in order for us to give some um, good advice, I think, to firms that are just starting down this curve, what I'm hearing you say is, don't start with buying expensive technology and collecting all this data. First, start with a statement of what are your opportunities and problems, and then figure out if you can use data to solve those. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, and, and recognize that it's different today. What, so what is different today? Yeah, certainly there's data, but the data shouldn't be the tip of your arrow. Identify problems you, you might theorize can be improved by the use of data or automation. It doesn't always have to be data. Mm -hmm. hey, hey, we've got the data, but we can assemble it more effectively in a Power BI report or something like that. Uh, we can tell better stories because our ability to not have to deploy a, a, a hard code programmer, we can actually have a really good smart business analyst put this data in a package that can tell a better story. Um, and, and, and there's another facet, which is trial and error. You can do much more trial, error, and agile processing, which much, is much more natural to the human process than, than the traditional waterfall approach to developing technology. You know, the old-fashioned way of developing technology is they made you write your specifications in these long lists and, and books and long, long, you know, spec, spec uh, whatever you call it. And then you had to throw it over the wall to people who were technically savvy but had perhaps less a connection to the business. And then it took a long time, usually went over budget and all that stuff. The method is way different now. The method is, all right, we have this access to data. Can we tie it together? Let's iterate. Let's, you can get those reports out in a span of a week or two. And then you can take a look at what you have. If you're passionate about solving the business, you can ask really good business questions about, does that answer our question or problem? Let's iterate. Or does that tell the story the way we want it? Let's iterate on that. That's really fun. And, and to me, that's what people don't always appreciate because the tools have advanced so quickly. They, it's not just about there's a lot of data, but it's also that our ability to manipulate the data and tell good stories with data uh, is, is much more available in 21 than perhaps it was back in 2015 or 2010, which is not too long ago, right, if you really think about it. Yeah, so so for listeners, um, it's something Mark said earlier, a little differently than this, but I think this was the message is you shouldn't try to boil the ocean at the get-go, uh, break it down into manageable pieces. So if people want to find you and ask you more about this or get your help, what's your website address? Uh, well, I guess it's lawvision.com, and I'm, we're all out there, so you're, you're welcome to look us up uh, out there, and uh, always happy to have good conversations about about these ideas. And again, my, my thrust is, hey, how can you solve things better than you, uh, you haven't before? And although I'm glad to talk about data too, but, uh, but that, that's really the spirit of where, where I'm going. Well, and you know, I, I, I could go on with about 50 million questions for you. I always find our conversation so fascinating. So uh, we'll have to take that offline. But any last bit of uh, advice or suggestions or 
um, words of wisdom for our audience before we go? Well, I have no words of wisdom. Just ask any of my children or wife or dog. But <laughs> what I will say is, is that I've, I think I've been in this industry now for 25 plus years. And I would say that it increasingly is getting more and more interesting and more innovative and more open-minded. And I really believe that. Um, it's been a fun time uh, to be in this industry. And so I would say, take advantage of that opportunity. There, there's, there's often like this discussion of glass half full or glass half empty with all, there's all these threats. And yes, there are, and there should be. If, a, if an industry is, is you know, uh, healthy, there should be healthy competition. Um, but I think there's, there's been never more of an opportunity for folks to, to be uh, excited and creative and really try to deploy things for the better. Um, so I'd say for anybody that's out there, you know, take that wind in your back and really see what you can do to, to be creative and, and go forward in a, in a way that's really interesting. Excellent words of wisdom. And, and I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been a delight to have you on our podcast today. And um, I know you're going to um, do a little presentation to some of our members in a business development forum later in this year. So they're in for a treat too. They'll get to hear a little more from you and, and one of our other members, Lisa Simon. So thanks a lot for joining Terralix Insights. Super. Thanks, Terry.